This episode is brought to you by The One Summit, two days that would change your life forever. For tickets, go to theonesummit.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to The Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts, Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damien Christoph, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to The Wellness Guys. I'm Lawrence Tam, and I'm flying solo tonight, and this is The Wellness Guys Show, weekly show dedicated to bringing wellness into your lives, and today is the first ever episode after 150-somewhat episodes of The Wellness Guys that I am flying solo on my own. But I'm not really flying solo because I actually have a special guest that I'd like to introduce to you. But the best thing about uh, being able to do a podcast by yourself without the other boys is that I can make fun of them and they won't, they can't make fun of me. They can't make fun of me. So, which is perfect. Um, Damien is gone AWOL and uh, Brett has just finished his cave camp and, uh, you know, being in a cave, he doesn't actually have any internet. So, but I did not want to miss the opportunity to interview uh, Dr. Lori Desitel from Indianapolis because she has woken up nice early for, for me to uh, to get beyond the Wellness Guy show. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about uh, Dr. Laurie. She's, uh, she's an undergraduate and graduate levels at Marion University in Indianapolis. Uh, she's currently taking a faculty of residence position working two days a week in the team of fifth graders to teachers in the Washington Township schools uh, where they're implementing educational neuroscience strategies into the classroom. She's also um, has written a book called titled How May I Serve You? Revelations in Education. Welcome to the Wellness Guy show, Laurie. Thank you, Lawrence, so much. I'm thrilled to talk uh, with you the, this morning, your evening, my morning. So thank you. <laughs> well, it's, it's great. And I, that's right. I know you got up early, nice and early for us. And uh, and I didn't want to you know pass this opportunity up to speak to you because, you know, one of the things that I have, uh, Laurie, and so if, is, it's just this passion for education in a sense of, you know, I've been in school, I've been in school, you know, f- you know, quote unquote, formal education, probably for about 23 years, you know, including kindergarten and all the way through. And uh, which is kind of hard to believe sometimes. But when you count all the university, you know, double degrees and all that stuff, you just think you're in school for a very, very long time. And so for most of my life. And, um, you know, I know that um, my experience through school, uh, especially, you know, through high school, it's, you know, we will talk about that maybe. And the journey that I've gone through has absolutely changed now, especially for the young kids that are going through school now. And my kids, uh, my daughter, who's just in uh, pre-primary here, so she's not in year one, just one year before year one. I'm kind of scared, you know, because so many things have changed. Um, we have this addition of social media. We have, um, you know, this this whole thing about bullying and how to teach kids. And there's so much stuff going on. Like I, I am fearful for their for their emotional state and how they're going to come out. So uh, that's why we wanted Dr. Lord to come on the show because there's just so much to talk about. So let's ask the first question. Lori, okay. what do you think the biggest problem right now is in the school? So I know you're in the States uh, and, uh, you know, because a lot of listeners are from the States as well. But I'm sure what you guys are going through is the exact same thing, whether it be in Canada or Australia or Europe. It doesn't really matter, I'm sure. Right, right. So my biggest concern, Lawrence, right now is looking at the emotional well-being of our children and adolescents. And when I talk about the emotional well-being Um, Right now, I feel, well, we are living in the most populous, diverse time in our world's history. And we have children and adolescents that are being asked to multitask in ways and to pay attention. As you mentioned, So there's social media, there's new technology um, coming to the forefront, you know, every three to four, five, six months. And then we have this emphasis... um, on performance and testing 
um, across the world. And, you know, we hear about global competition. And, and this, you know, obviously is, um, you know, this is schooling. And this is formal education, informal education. But what we're forgetting, and I think that this has been my passion. It's what gets me up in the morning and I have a hard time going to sleep at night, is the social and emotional well-being of our children. Because they have such resiliency. And they come into this world with the ability to be creative and to be innovative. And I don't want to see them lose that. So what we're looking at is how can we not only instill this creative spark through school, not just at five or six years old, but through school, and how can we help them to go inside, to go within and to find that mindful, and I like to call this mindful, we're using focused attention practices, which I'll talk about a little bit later, but helping them to find that, that emotional, calm, well-being feeling on their own, um, because it is a very, very tumultuous time in our world, and they are being called to perform and to think and to relate and school really if you think about education we really the purpose of it is to learn how to live outside of school so you know our brains are social brains and I think starting at you know preschool three four five six years old you know we want our children to feel um, connected. I think that's probably my my um, biggest you know point here is we're losing that connection of um, emotion, and we know in the brain that cognition and emotion are processed together. So anytime we put emotion into what we are communicating or to what we are teaching, um, the, the the brain pays attention. The mind just you know it it thrives on novelty. Mm. So when when we look at how we can engage and connect not only with the subject matter in schools but with one another, um, we are doing just wonderful. We're taking care of our inner world, if that makes sense. So so what you're saying is that you know is adding emotion to the logical stuff that we're learning rather than just learning rope learning on certain things that we need to learn for the sake of learning you're actually putting emotions to it is that what you're saying right. exactly so when you for instance um when as as an educator as a teacher and i even as a mom i think when i can share a personal story a personal narrative when I can really connect with one of my three children or my fifth grade all the fifth grade students I've worked with this year even my undergraduate and graduate students when I can share a personal narrative our brains are wired for storytelling Mm. we learn in context and so when we can share something that feels relevant and meaningful to our children they feel actually freer to share um and it's really fabulous modeling um when we can model that that storytelling or model that self-reflection and and that's something else lawrence that um i see that with all that we're called to do you know we look at the social media we look at technology we look at the the diversity of our world when we can model self-reflection, that taps into our emotional well-being as well. 
So, and, um, well, one of the things is, it's just interesting when you talk about storytelling. And I think, you know, I've listened to a lot of speakers, you know, on stage. And uh, one of the best um, speakers that, you know, that you know, all the best speakers in the world are storytellers. They're great storytellers. And we all have been there. We've all have been to seminars or lectures where, you know, the, the, the most engaging um, conversations and the most engaging speeches or talks are usually done by um, storytelling because it taps into that emotional state. And the better the storyteller engages you emotionally, and I, I, I've never thought about it from that perspective, but, you know, I can only imagine if, you know, all my teachers actually, you know, taught mathematics or science or, you know, English yeah. or whatever it is, um, you know, with the, with the emotions of, you know, personalizing it based on their experience. And and um, that's, that's fascinating rather than listening to someone just sort of, you know, going through the motions and logic. Right. Right. And, the, and you know, that we, we memorize, um, you know, dry content for the short term. Mm. And, we, you know, and I've, I've asked my three children who are, you know, young adults now or teenagers and young adults. But, but when we look at really placing meaning and relevancy into the content, but also into our relationships, um, the storytelling is um, it, it's so brain compatible. And not only does it tap into emotions, but it also brings about a couple of other strategies that as parents and as teachers are so important. And we look at, you know, the, the, the power of analogy. We look at the power of metaphors. And then we look at the power of questions. Because when we ask a question, the brain processes that question long after it's been asked. So when we just can get quiet just for a couple of you know, just maybe 30 seconds or a minute, we, we're very uncomfortable in this world with quiet. Mm. And um, it feels uncomfortable to us. So when we ask questions and we just listen to learn rather than listen to respond, um, this is another way to really connect to the heart, to the mind. And, um, and it, again, it, it models this um, ability to feel capable and to feel empowered. You know, when I go to a student and I ask them, how do you feel about this, you know, what we're learning today? Or how do you feel when I approach you? And we talk about, um, you know, maybe a challenge in the classroom that we're both having. And rather than, you know, just pointing a finger and saying, you know, this is, this is not working, um, you need to change, you know, the way you speak to me or you need to change the way you um, are acting in this classroom. What happens, our defenses just rise up and we posture to defend ourselves because our brains are wired to survive. Mm -hmm. So all of us pay attention to anything that feels threatening, anything. And for a child that might, you know, they may be walking into our classroom with, um, you know, a, a conflict on the, on the bus, a conflict in the hallway, something that's happened at home the night before, something that um, we are completely unaware of, but it feels threatening. And so my concern is we cannot learn. The prefrontal cortex, that right there behind our eyebrows, shuts down when we feel afraid or we feel threatened. And that's that fight, flight, freeze response that we all are aware of. But what we now know is that in the United States, um, and, and I'm, I know this is across the world, but we have children and adolescents between the ages of 8 and 17 who are experiencing chronic stress. 
and you know this is this is a huge concern to me um, and and to all of us in our world community because when we feel that stress response kick in and now it lasts a lot longer than we're wired for it to last um, we we don't learn we literally just stop thinking so what's the what's the major consequence do you think that's going to happen in if we continue on this path like what are you know have there's any studies been showing that you know these kids are not absorbing or they do not sort of you know develop into you know emotionally stable adults what's what's the consequence here well i think there are several consequences and um one of the consequences that concerns me is just our our overall um you know not only emotional and mental health but our physical health you know we know that when we are in a stress response state our immune system um is you know deprived i mean we we literally the immune system weakens so um that's that's a huge that's a huge concern to me um also we also know that when we are you know living in that chronic kind of new normal stress response our ability to um you know have a a broader perspective and to think outside of the box our our ability to think clearly through choices and consequences shuts down shuts off and you know we also know that our memories are affected when we have and you and i anybody knows when we have um, you know, something that is that feels very threatening to us. Let's say I'm, I'm to be at a meeting in 20 minutes. My car keys are nowhere to be found. I have no other way to get there. My ability to think and stop and remember where I place them is literally gone. And so, you know, we just we, not only do we not think clearly, but our memory um, is greatly affected. And um, and that's, you know, to learn is to focus and pay attention. And we have to have memory to do that. Mm. You know, so education has changed so much, like since the time that you went to, to you know, university, for example, and, or when I went to university, you know, I, you know, when I went to university, a lot of times that uh, I was really great at taking tests. <laughs> like that, that was about it. Um, I, you know, not that I have actually absorbed much information other than that, than able to write a multiple choice and pass those exams with flying colors. Um, but, you know, one of the things that my, my fear is that, you know, education in universities to me was always the thought that, you know, it's higher learning, right? But it was no different than high school. It was just more of it, you know, it's your choice to kind of learn it or not. And you can show up for class or you don't. And um, my fear for that is that, you know, especially the younger kids, like, you know, for, you know, my daughter's age, say, you know, six, you know, five, six years old, um, as they grow through, like what I'm seeing in the educational system is that there's... Um, and I'm, maybe I'm just making a massive assumption and I'm, you know, I don't want to, you know, push anybody's button here, but, you know, is, is there a choice to actually, you know, are they focusing on their creativity and, and ter- also, you know, decision-making or to be able to come up with original thought? Because my, my thinking is, and what I'm observing is that a lot of the stuff that for, for once we used to have to learn, for example, you can actually just go into Google to be, to get that answer a lot faster. You know what I mean? Because things have changed. So, you know, is it wise for us to move in and shift the education process to be where it is, um, you know, that allows the, you know, the student or the child to really come up with original thoughts? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's such a great question, Lawrence. And that, that is a challenge today. And I think we, we somehow live in this paradox. And what I mean by that is, what you we we still in in our schools K through twelve and and through higher education, 
we still are teaching to so many standards. You know, the standards tend to, to increase, which um, is, you know, the brain has a hard time when we have a very overpacked curriculum. But here's what my concern is. The challenge is, is that we're still teaching to memorize, you know, specific facts and, and concepts. But our ability to collaborate, to be flexible, to be you know, to adapt to different situations, um, to be curious and and to analyze and and take apart a problem and then put it back together again with a different solution. That's that critical type of thinking. Those skills are what companies and businesses and professions all around the world want from their employees. And, you know, uh, Daniel Pink has shared this in several of his books, you know, um, A Whole New Mind. You know, he talks about this new age of high concept, high touch. And we're moving into that. And yet it feels as if our schools lag behind sometimes because we are still teaching to tests. And when we teach to a test, we are really teaching to two areas of intelligence, math and language. And as you are, I mean, you're, it sounds like you're a very good test taker, but there are several children and adolescents who become so stressed um, taking a test. And this sounds really kind of harsh, but you know, when we're, when we're stressed, we're dumber. And, and because the prefrontal cortex shuts down, we cannot think clearly. But we're also leaving out so many beautiful areas of intelligence that Dr. Howard Gardner um, from Harvard University discovered 30 years ago, um, looking at musical intelligence, looking at nature and intelligence. Some people have such an innate connection to understanding the world around them, interpersonal intelligence, um, intrapersonal, you know, being very self-reflective and sharing that with the world. and kinesthetic and you know we're just we're leaving out the visual spatial intelligence so these are the areas that um, you know when I am inside the schools whether it's in a large public school like Washington Township or teaching my undergraduates or my graduate students you know we're really taking a look at how we, we have to teach to the standards I mean that's we have to do that but then how can we take those standards and create a very low stress, meaning a very um, collaborative environment for our children to feel free to make mistakes, to question, to be curious. I mean, those are the type of skills that actually our brains are wired for. Mm. And I I wanted to add this to, I, I wanted to say this at the beginning, the best news for us as teachers and parents and the community actually is that we now know the brain structurally and functionally changes with every experience in front of it. So I I just, I get goosebumps thinking about what we can do as educators and as parents, knowing that we have this neuroplasticity um, and we can create environments, you know, cultures inside of our homes, inside of our classrooms, where we can literally enrich the mind. And, and plant seeds of hopefulness um, so that we can go back to that emotional connection and that emotional well-being. 
and you know, some a lot of our listeners might be listening. Like, this is such a, a weird discussion in terms of on the Wellness Guy show, but it's not because the reason why no. I brought you know uh, Laurie on here is because when you think about it, that if uh, a child um, you know goes through school and they are you know they're not encouraged to um, to I guess you know to, to like in a sense of you know quote unquote succeed in a sense of they get discouraged because they don't want to learn or they feel stupid for whatever reason, and then that leads into to um, a, a mindset of unworthiness and that and then when you're unworthy when you're coming out of high school or university then you're going to make different choices than if versus someone who feels worthy that they feel like I am I have a gift or I'm a genius at something. And that's so, and I think that's, and, and because those choices, those two people will make, will make a difference in terms of their health and wellness in the future. And so this is how it affects us. It does start from a very early age. And so right. the question I ha- uh, I want to ask you is, is that, um, you know, obviously one of the things that uh, for us is, is this notion that, you know, competition was bad. Right, that competition. There was, a, you know, there's. I don't know too much about the former education stuff, but I remember there was a time where in the last, you know, I don't even know how many years, but say ten years, that we want to focus on kids rather than competing. It's about participation. It's about getting along and just participating rather than competing or winning or losing. Now they're starting to say that like, we've gone kind of too far. Mm-hmm. Maybe because now it's almost about is participating too much, but that it, that there's no sense of self esteem. What are your comments on that? Well, I I do think we're a world of extremes Mm -hmm. (laughs) in every area. And, um, I, you know, I think that competition, um, if it is in place in a way that, and this is, this is going to sound like I'm speaking out of both sides, but I think we can be competitive in a collaborative way. Mm. And, you know, we can, we can, we can root for another, we can empathize and, and, and you know, be with one another in a competitive sport. Um, that reminds me of a story, Lawrence. We have a basketball, a college bas- basketball coach here who had his players um, during a practice run as fast as they were doing sprints. And they he didn't really explain to them the purpose of this of this exercise, but he had them running against one another. And they were, you know, and they were the, the assistant coaches were timing them as they were running these sprints. And at the end, after they all had just given 100% of their effort and were competing, you know, trying to be the fastest on the team, the coach stopped, he gathered them together, and he said, what I was looking for today is I was looking for those who were really cheering their teammates on during this exercise. Mm -hmm. I was watching because you all are fast. You all are within a second or two. But what I was really looking for in the starters of the game will be those that I watched that were really, you know, genuinely cheering the others on mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, being there for your teammates. So I think when, when you talk about competition and collaboration and cooperation, I love that example um, because I think we can do both. But what concerns and I and I hate to use the word concern too much but what is a challenge for us is when we look at competition and we look at that in isolation that it's it's just about me because there is this deep connection between all of us and um, we can as teachers and as parents I think when we tap into that emotional intelligence 
and helping to see and to feel that self-awareness and that self-connectedness and, and how, you know, really focusing on commonalities rather than differences, which kind of brings us into bullying. Mm. Um, because when we really help children and adolescents to see their commonalities, we really are giving them tools and resources to, you know, really look at collaboration and, mm. and, and looking at how we can come at a challenge or a problem together, you know, rather than this sense of lack like there's only enough for this person or this there's only enough for this person. And we, we really then come from fear and lack rather than abundance, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's about, you know, finding your own individual strength and also playing to that as well. But competitiveness is I think it's important to kind of know where you stand, you know, where to improve on. Right. But at the same time, it's about working together to kind of, you know, come together to achieve a common goal. So I think, you know, if all humans work together that way, <laughs> um, yes, we, yes. it would be a much better place. So, um, you know, we've we got about five more minutes left. I know it goes by pretty fast. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit, uh, you know, maybe as we end this podcast off on, you know, what are some of the solutions that, you know, if some of the teachers who are listening to on this call, what they, can they do to bring this in the classroom? But more importantly, we're all teachers, right? We're all teachers in a way as a parent um, or even as a friend. You know, how can we improve as a society? Because if this is how we're going to do it, we're going to have to do it through the grassroots movements. Um, what do we need to do or be consciously aware of as parents or teachers? I The first thing that, that comes to mind and that we are actually you know, doing in all of our classrooms and, and, and at home, in my home right now, teaching my own children. And that is, we, we are calling these focused attention practices. And I think when we really mentor and sit beside one another and helping one another to focus on a stimulus, and we're using the breath in the classroom. So we are really helping our students to pay attention to a deep inhale and exhale through the nose to a sound, to a taste. We are taking three to five minutes a couple of times during the school day when they come in, during transitions, when they leave um, K through 12, high school, middle school, it doesn't matter the grade, um, adult, my undergraduates and graduates, we're beginning our class with these focused attention practices. And this, what this does is it literally clears out in the brain um, it, it, it's like a big chalkboard that erases um, any, um, you know, just all of those 60 to 90,000 thoughts that are just, you know, constantly repeating and, and playing out in our minds. And it creates a very big space for our working memory so that not only do we begin to feel calmer and our parasympathetic nervous system begins to, you know, we, we, we feel calmer, we feel um, we're able to think clearly, but it also helps us to focus and pay attention. So these practices we are doing two to three times a day um, through the school year. And Lawrence, the teachers, the, the behaviors have improved, the engagement has increased, and they're seeing higher test scores across the board. It's been actually amazing um, to see. And, and they're taking these focused attention practices and they're modifying them, as I said, to use different types of stimuli. So, um, and actually the students are leading them now. Hmm. And so, you know, they, they, they create, um, you know, their own practice and they share it with the class, which 
is huge because it empowers them. They feel capable and successful. And it's really helping them to to be a leader, too, in the classroom. And that takes a lot of courage. So that's one of the things that um, I think we can do. The, the other, and I know we just have a minute left, but the research out of um, Harvard also shares that when we write, when we write out any of our worries, anxieties, or stresses for 10 minutes, it doesn't have to be related to anything in school. But in our classrooms, we're having our students before a test, be, you know, before um, a new concept is taught, they are given just a little sheet, half sheet of paper. We pass around a basket and they are writing out any of their worries or their concerns. And what they found is when we do this, um, this activates um, our parasympathetic nervous system so that we begin to breathe deeper, our, um, you know, our ability to think you know, more clearly is enhanced. And this is another strategy that is just has taken off. And um, actually, I encourage my own children at home, um, you know, to write out anything that feels um, because sometimes it feels a little safer to write it out rather than talk with someone. Mm. So, so um, great strategies. I mean, one of the things that I, I mean, just today, actually, I, I was uh, speaking at an event today and, um, you know, there's been a lot going on in my, on my last, in my world for the last couple of days. And, you know, we'll call it, you know, lessons to be learned or stress or you want to call it. And, right. you know, I was sitting in the parking lot and I had a bit of time and I thought to myself, like, I can't release deliver a great talk and serve the people that I'm there unless I took the time to kind of just pull back and mm-hmm. gain focus and I happen to be you know doing a mindful and may all the wellness guys have been doing this you know every day we're doing a 10 minute meditation um, yeah. you know for ourselves and I thought well I got time now let's do it and uh, you know spending that 10 minutes just in the car in the parking lot you know to gain focus back was just amazing for me because it just cleared out you know all the stuff that was happening in my world and go you know what the people you know that I'm just about to speak to are, are the most important thing to me at the moment and uh, you know and allowed me to kind of just go and be who I am and just deliver the message and I thought that was a really powerful message to kind of even just taking you know a minute or you know three minutes of your day to just teach or you know teach yourself but also allowing children at a young age to learn how to do that and learn to cope with and adapt to their emotional state so it's a great great idea and uh so thank you so much Lori. really it's been a fantastic uh interview and, and thank you so much for being on our show and i know it goes by pretty fast but for for people though who are interested in learning more about what you do and and uh where can they find you well i um have a website and it's revelations in mm-hmm. and um i emails i love i mean i love to respond so it's it, this 30 minutes with very fast and we could talk for days but um it's thank you so much lawrence for this time and and i think that this place and in in our schools across the world is where we all begin to um you know live in a way that um is just emotionally and academically and socially about our well-being it's it encompasses all of it well, and that's the thing that we all live in uh, the school of life and uh, we all continually right. learning. So I think it's important. That's why you guys are listening, right? Because you wouldn't be listening <laughs> unless you're, you're wanting to learn. So, um, guys, if you enjoy this podcast, please go to our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash the wellness guys or the, the wellness couch. Go while you're there, like it. 
comment below this episode um, and share this podcast with your friends and families and other strangers that you think need a wellness update. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a five-star rating because I know the boys and I love that. And leave a comment there too as well. So until next week, begin creating wellness into your lives. Lead by example and let's change the world's health together. Join us next week on The Wellness Guys Show. Hi, Brett Hill from The Wellness Guys and That Paleo Show here. We had some incredible feedback last year that being at The Wellness Summit with a group of like-minded people made it just that much better. So this year, we've created a special group rate for 10 or more people to attend The Wellness Summit. For spreading The Wellness Message, you can come to The Summit for just 197 bucks. That's a saving of $100. And all you need to do is get you and nine other friends along to Crown Melbourne on Saturday, August 16 and 17 for this once-in-a-lifetime event. To book your group tickets and have the best time ever with your friends, go to W www.thewellnesssummit.com This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter The Wellness Couch Streaming wellness into your lives Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.